You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Just before dawn, Paul tried to get them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have wondered what would happen. You have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I am asking you to eat some food. You need to live. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After Paul said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God. He did this where they all could see him. Then he broke it and began to eat. All of them were filled with hope. So they ate some food. There were 276 of us on board. They ate as much as they wanted. They needed to make the ship lighter. So they threw the rest of the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they saw a bay with a sandy beach. They didn't recognize the place, but decided to run the ship onto the beach if they could. So they cut the anchors loose and left them in the sea. All the same, at the same time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders. They lifted the sail at the front of the ship to the wind. Then they headed for the beach, but the ship hit a sandbar. So the front of it got stuck and wouldn't move. The back of the ship was broken to pieces by the pounding of the waves. The, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. They wanted to keep them from swimming away and escaping. But the commander wanted to save Paul's life. So he, left, he kept the soldiers from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard, overboard first and swim to land. The rest were supposed to get there on boards or other pieces of the ship. That is how everyone reached land safely. The word of our Lord. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for this opportunity to study your word and surrounding this study of your word by being in community with like-minded brothers and sisters. And uh, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you might want to teach us through this story this morning, that as we arrive here, we, we don't come simply to uh, kind of check off, our, check off our list of what a good Christian does, but that we actually come here uh, before you, we come uh, allowing your spirit to examine our hearts, and we want to say to you that if you need to change us, if you need to work in, in our hearts, chisel away at us, please do so. We, we ask that you would do so. Make us more Christ-like and give us a larger vision, a larger understanding of what it means to call you Lord of all. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, you can be seated. I hope you appreciated the cartoons that went along with, yeah, I know, Tyler, you were all about it. Saw a little tear, I think. Um, so this is actually um, the message that I was going to preach last week, which would have been our family service. Uh, I've expanded it a little bit, but I decided, you know, every once in a while, the adults deserve um, uh, some cartoons as well. And uh, actually, if, if you're my age or older, you might actually recognize some of those. Those are from a, a Christian magazine back in the 80s. Uh, that, that artist was, was quite popular back in the 80s with a lot of Christian publications. But anyway, for those of you who are maybe visiting with us or, or need a reminder of of what we've been walking through. We've been walking through a series called Witness, looking at the, the, the actions of the early church. Those who first came to believe that God showed up in the person. Did you want to come up? You want to do the, you want to do the message? Uh, the altar call is going to be at the end, so just hold off. Um, <laughs> uh, for those who, uh, who, who 
a witness, the resurrected Jesus who believed that God showed up uh, incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ and that he lived and died and rose again three days later. And then this this news and the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, sent them out into the world to share this story with those around them. Well, one, one of the, the main people in the book of Acts who, who actually wrote a, a, a mass amount of the New Testament is a person by the name of Paul or depending on your background, St. Paul or the Apostle Paul. And he was an early church. Uh, well, first he was a church uh, persecutor and then he became a, uh, one of the highest um, leaders of the church as a missionary and as a pastor. And he would go all over the Mediterranean world telling people about Jesus, telling him that there was this man who showed up, who, who did miracles, who referred to himself and God the Father as one person. And he died and he didn't he wasn't just mostly dead he was actually dead and three days later he came back to life a lot of people don't like hearing this story from Paul and the other early Christian followers early Christ followers they didn't want to hear it because if this story is true they knew that they would have to change the way they saw the entire world what they would have to change what they saw as important they would have to change how they actually lived their lives they would have to change to whom or what they gave their allegiance to their entire life. If someone came, lived, referred to themselves as God, died and rose from the dead, you, you bank on that person. So they don't want to believe Paul's story because it pushes up against everything they believe. And so Paul has actually been arrested by, by the people in power and given over to the Romans. And they are taking him from a town called Caesarea, which is on the, the uh, west coast of modern day Israel. And he's being put on a merchant ship by Roman soldiers soldiers and taken to Rome because he is, his case is going to go before the emperor. But while they are being, while they are on this boat, as Val was reading, they are caught up in a great storm, a storm that takes them a thousand kilometers. It takes them off the northern coast of Africa, where they're fearing they're going to hit sandbars. It, it, the sky goes cloudy for 14 days. Now in BC, we just call that BC. But there, if you are a, 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 a pilot of a boat, if you are a ship's captain and everything goes cloudy, you have no way of knowing where you're going. They needed the stars. They needed the moon. They needed the sun to understand where they were. So they were completely lost. So they were anxious. They didn't want to eat the food because they didn't know how long they were gonna, it was going to have to last for. They were praying to their they're false gods. They were nervous. They were anxious. They looked to the sky. They saw nothing. So the, the, the question we might ask ourselves as we look at this story is, what do we look at to find direction in life? And what happens when those things we look to, to, that we rely on to find our direction, that kind of act as our compass, when those things are no longer around, do we panic or do we have something deeper that we can rely on? We see a difference between Paul and the other sailors in this story, for sure. There are a few things I want us to, to kind of pull out of this story this, this morning. We learn a lot about what it's like when we fall into storms in our own lives. There's a great metaphor through this chapter 27 of Acts. First is this. We can move further in a storm than we can in calm water. We move further in a storm than we do in calm water. Boats did not have engines in Paul's day. <laughs> 
And merchant ships didn't, didn't often have people to, to actually row the boats either, to, to use oars. So on a calm day, they didn't move very far. It was pretty. It was nice to look up and see the blue sky, but they would just stand still and not go anywhere. You can move the rudder as much as you want. You're not going to go anywhere. When there's wind, when there's storms, there's a lot of movement. For you and I, difficulty, for, for uncertainty in our lives, is often an opportunity to make us stronger and to move us, make us more mature and more Christ-like. Often the storms in our life get us to where God wants us to be in a way that we will never get there if we only know comfort. Many of us know the story of, of Joseph and his brothers in, in, in Genesis. And if you think you have difficulties with your siblings, I will suggest Joseph had it worst off. If you have dysfunction in your family, I would suggest Joseph had it worse off. He was thrown in a pit by his brothers to be left to die. They went home and lied to their father. They dipped his coat in, in animal's blood and came back and said he's, he's been killed. A lot of lying going on, a lot of deception. And then they got you know, soft-hearted and sold him into slavery to Egyptians. Joseph at times would have felt forgotten by God as he looked up to the stars and went, where are you in the midst of this? But he continued to pray. He continued to be faithful. Many opportunities where he could have decided to take his eyes off God and just give up on the whole narrative of God above the storm. He had plenty of opportunity and he refused to do it. Trial after trial, false accusation after false accusation, prison gets him all the way next to Pharaoh. It's actually very similar to Paul's story. He goes through a lot of the same things and he gets all the way to the emperor. Joseph goes through all these horrible things, but it ends up bringing him to the side of Pharaoh, second in power in all of Egypt, ends up saving his family from famine, his nation, other nations come who would have died of starvation. The storm in his life got him somewhere sunny skies would have never got him. And Joseph looks at his brothers years later and they're, they're cowering because he's now in power. And they say, please don't kill us. Please, we're so sorry. And he says in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me. Some versions say you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And this is, this is true on becoming more complete people, on becoming more mature people. And many of us who are further along in our lives, we can attest to this, that some of the hardest things in our lives are what have, what have grown us, that have made us stronger, would have taught us to, to lean more on Jesus. Uh, a, a friend of Paul's and an early church leader by the name of James wrote this in James 1, 2 to 4. He says, my brothers and sisters, you will face, not you may, Okay? You will face all kinds of trouble. When you do, think of it as pure joy. Your faith will be put to the test. You know that when this happens, it will produce in you the strength to continue. The strength to keep going must be allowed to finish its work. Then you will be all you should be. You will have everything you need. We have an opportunity to grow stronger when times are difficult. We can move further in a storm than we ever can in calm water. Also, we learn from Paul that we can have courage in the storm. Because we know God's at work, we can have courage in the storm. And Paul gives us this, this great example of how we can live even in the midst when we can't see the stars, even when we, we don't know what's coming next. Paul does something quite beautiful in this story. 
he, he had hope that went beyond just how strong their boat was. Because everyone around him was only as strong as the stuff they trusted in. When the boat was breaking apart, when things were being thrown overboard, it's as if their life was being thrown overboard. It's as if their life was breaking apart. When the sky is cloudy, so is their life. Do you know anybody like that? They look like they were going pretty good, but even just a little trouble will mean their life is just cloudy. They don't have a view of reality to see beyond what's right in front of them. Paul's faith gives him like superpowers to see through clouds. <laughs> he can see past the storm. He can see God who is bigger than all storms. He maybe has some of the stories in his mind of, uh, in the Gospels, the stories of, of Jesus that you and I have read and are familiar with. See, God loves doing stuff with water. He, he, loves, he loves showing his power over the waves. See, in, in ancient thought, especially among the Jews, the idea of water was that's where chaos was. That's where you go if you want to lose your life. That's where darkness dwelled. That's why the miracles of Jesus that have to do with water were extremely powerful for his early followers. In Matthew 14, 25 to 33, we have that up there? Yeah. It says, early in the morning, Jesus went out to the disciples. He walked on the lake. They saw him walking on the lake and were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Right away, Jesus called out to them, be brave, it is I. Do not be afraid. Got the next one there? Lord, is it you? Peter asked, if it is, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Right away, Jesus reached out. I love that picture. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Your faith is so small, he said. Why did you doubt me? Why did you look away from me? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those in the boat worshiped Jesus. They said, you really are the son of God. We also know of another story that's kind of a, a Jesus versus the storm story. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 37, it says, A windstorm came up. Waves crashed over the boat. It was about to sink. Jesus was in the back, sleeping on a cushion. I love that. I love that. What's going on, everybody? Is everyone okay? Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up. They said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, ordered the wind to stop ordered the chaos to be still, ordered the chaos to shalom. He said to the waves, quiet, be still, shut it. If he was Scottish, he would have said, <laughs> all right, keep it down. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. There was no battle. He simply spoke the words and it was done. Paul knows these stories. But like Peter's lessons, Paul knows you need to keep your eyes on Jesus, even in the midst of storms. The question for you and I is, how do we do that? Because all of you came in here today with some different level of, some different level of storm warning. <laughs> some different level of, of hurricane watch. Maybe it's coming. Maybe you saw the news this week. Maybe it's coming. You read a text in an encounter you have to have. Well, the way that we deal with things like that is we continue to revisit the promises 
of God. We continue to revisit the person of Jesus. Deuteronomy 31, 31 verse 8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will, do, and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Some of you say, yeah, that was a promise for the Jews in the Old Testament. Okay, well, the writer in the New Testament who wrote the book of Hebrews 13.5 repeats it. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Even when it's cloudy and I can't see the stars, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Even when I'm unsure what's coming next, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Matthew 28 verse 20, you can be sure that I am with you to the very end. That's something we remember each month when we, when we gather and have communion, which we're going to do in a little bit. We break bread. We pray. We eat. Like Paul in verse 35 of, of chapter 27, in the middle of the storm, it's like, hey, I know it's pretty crazy. How about a picnic? Is anyone up for this? Uh, can you guys, are you, are you done vomiting? Okay, come back. Let's eat. What Paul does here is repeat the, the, the very layout of the Lord's Supper. He repeats the Lord's Supper the way it's described in Matthew 26. It says Paul took bread, just as Jesus did. He prayed for the bread, and then he broke the bread. That's the exact description of how Jesus gave the Lord's Supper. The meal meant to remind us, what? Of Jesus' presence. Of Jesus' sustenance. His presence with us even when storms Come In the midst of the storms of life that we all bring, we eat bread, we drink juice together, we remember that Jesus is near in the storm and he will get us to our destination. And so the reason we can have courage in the storm is that we can trust that God works in storms. God does some of his best work in storms. And here's a truth that we learn more and more over time. God does a lot of work in us when we go through this difficult stuff. I have learned far more about Jesus when my life has been difficult, when, when my wife and I have walked through dark times and difficulties and we, we decide we're, we're not going to do it on our own. We're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to, at times, sing hymns together to make it through darker times. Paul, sometime after this experience and other shipwrecks, and other prisons, and other beatings, and other death threats. He wrote this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, you can be tempted to say, Paul, what do you know? <laughs> but I'll repeat, several shipwrecks, several beatings, several life threats, several threat, uh, sentences and threats and but we need to be careful when we, when we read that. All things, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This doesn't mean that every specific thing is good. Joseph had no problem saying that what you tried to do was evil. There are evil things going on. Does this mean that everything's good? No. Some take it to mean that every little thing has a silver lining. No, some stuff is just horrible. It's just bad. The scripture, the gospel, never denies the darkness and the pain of humanity. It fully embraces it. All things means that all things in relation to all other things, carefully and sovereignly directed by God, who alone has eternal perspective and ultimate wisdom, will eventually work things together to a beautiful 
conclusion. That's the story that we find ourselves in if we're Christ followers. There's an old story of a small town off the coast of Newfoundland, the eastern coast of Newfoundland, and a a whole fleet of ships went out in the morning, and mid-afternoon, a horrible storm came up, which is not unheard of, off the eastern coast of Newfoundland, and they were worried because all the men who were out on the boats had not come back, so the the women and and children and sweethearts and everyone and the, the, the priests were all walking up and down the shoreline in the wind and praying that God would save them. Darkness came, and then to add to it, one of the cottages went up in flames and the people who were in charge were out on the boat so they were unable to to put the fire out and a cottage burnt down on the shore. In the morning they were very happy to find all the men who had shown up on the shore and they had made it in and everyone was celebrating except for one woman who came out weeping as she found her husband and said I'm so sorry but our cottage has burnt down and he said praise God. (laughs) He said that burning cottage is what guided us all into shore. I thank God for that burnt cottage, he said. The fire was bad. There's no way out of that. The men being lost out in the sea, that was bad. But when they saw it as a whole, when they were all put together with a larger picture to work the story out, They saw that it worked together. And sometimes we will not see the entire story until the end, until Jesus comes and puts all things in a fallen creation right side up. When, as Samwise said, where everything sad is going to come untrue. Tim Keller says this. He says, from the vantage point of the end of history and eternity, we will be able to see that God was very carefully, God has very carefully worked out everything in history, even the things of evil intent, to only accomplish the opposite of what the evil intended to accomplish. He is working all things together, so even the worst things that ever happen will end up accomplishing something very, very good, something incredibly good. And so from our perspective, if we call ourselves Christ followers, if we've given our allegiance to, to Jesus, and, and as I've, I've been saying a lot lately, the story that out-narrates all other stories, from our perspective, 2,000 years after the fact, we can, we can see the tragedy of the cross. Something horrible Happened. An innocent man, a religious leader who, who elevated those who, who society looked down upon and he challenged the elites, crucified. It appears as an evil event. But like a burning cottage in the night, a tragedy that gives light and life and saves because there are other pieces to the story. Death being destroyed, guiding all those who will come in to be saved the tragedy of the cross becomes a torch to guide us through darkness. When we can't see the stars and find direction, we remember who Jesus is. He's the calmer of storms. He's the savior and the friend who knows the entire story, who has taken the power of death. He's taken the power of sin and and their curse of self-reliance and self-elevation. I mean, that's a burden. We look to the cross and we remember that we are not forgotten, that our pain is not forgotten. We are seen and we are known and we are obviously loved by God. As I mentioned, we all come in with storms. I, I, don't know, I don't know what the level of your storm is this morning. I don't know if it's a one or it's a 10 
or it goes to 11. I don't know. Storms and clouds do not get the final say. And so we can build up and, and we push ahead in difficulty. We can have courage. We can, we can trust that, that God has not taken his eye off us, even if we have taken ours, our eyes off him like Peter did. Like Paul, we can eat a meal in the midst of a storm. I wonder if Paul had his, his thoughts on Psalm 23. You prepare, prepare a meal for me in the midst of my enemies. And here he is with Roman guards, with, with merchants who don't care about him, on his way to see the emperor and the, the chaos of the waves moving around, walk, very different valley of the shadow of death. And here he is going, let's break bread and let's eat together. In a moment, we're going to take communion, a meal that Paul repeats. He, he takes bread, he thanks God for it, and then he breaks it and he hands it out to people to eat. One of the problems with, with taking communion on a regular basis, well, the, the dangerous thing when we repeat it over and over is that it can become rote and it can become mechanical. So I remind you that when we, we take the bread and we take the juice this morning, we are, we're reminding ourselves that beyond the clouds, beyond the, the storm that makes our story seem so small and seem so insignificant, Jesus sits firmly seated on his throne with his eyes firmly fixed on you and I. That history is on its on its way somewhere. It's, it's on its way to a conclusion when everything sad is going to come untrue. And if you, if you wonder, well, how do we know that we look to Jesus? We look to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who now sits enthroned on high until he returns, who faced death on our behalf and came out the other side. So when we as Christ followers, when we, when we eat this this symbolic meal, reminding ourselves of, of Christ's presence. We are, as, as Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians 11, we are declaring his death until he returns. Because although it seems stormy, although it seems cloudy, he will return. And he will demand that the chaos shuts it. He will demand that the chaos be quiet. He will demand that the chaos is at bay. In fact, he will demand that the chaos is no more. And so when we eat this meal, we are looking forward to that day that was purchased by an event in the past. But please do not let them simply be frames for you. Please, as we eat this meal together, let it remind you that he is God even in the storm. That he is present and offers sustenance and strength and presence even in the storm. That is what communion is meant to do for us. So I'm going to invite Marika to come up and invite the servers to come up. And I'm just going to explain to you how we're going to do communion this morning. For some of you, communion may be a brand new thing. And as I've described, it's something that Jesus gave to all his disciples. He said, hey, every time you meet together and you have this meal together, I want you to remember this bread represents my body that was freely given to you. When you drink the cup, I want you to remember that in this, in this cup, I want you to remember that my, it represents my, my blood that was spilt for you to give a payment for your sins. So you no longer have to be tossed by, by the sea of guilt and shame. I can demand shalom and peace in your life because I absorbed that in the cross. 
And he said, eat it until I return. So we declare that he has died, but we declare in that very statement that he rose from the dead and he is coming again. So if you're a Christ follower, if this is the story that you find your identity and your hope in, then you're welcome to take part whether you uh, attend this church regularly or not. If If you're not a Christ follower, these would be very, the worst snacks ever. I mean, they're not even super tasty. Um, so I would just ask, if you're not a Christ follower, that you just uh, stay seated while, while the rest of the, the, the community comes down. So this is how we're going to do this. And I, I feel like I need to explain it each time because it, it gets a little, uh, <laughs> it can get a little difficult. But anyway, this is what we're going to have. We're going to have two stations. We're going to have um, bread and juice on either side. And we're going to invite you to come down both of these walkways on the side. And you can grab a piece of bread and a cup. And then just th- on, by these curtains, if you take a left here and a right there, there's stairs that go back up and you can make your way back down just so we're not running into each other. Uh, we'll also have gluten-free bread over here as well if you'd like to, to grab that. And for those of you who are still um, maybe a little anxious about coming down here, and, and sharing this bread up on the two mezzanines here, we have some uh, kind of mobile cups that have the, the juice and the bread right inside their sealed, so you can grab those. And what I'm going to ask is, as we worship, you make your way up, you take them, you get back to your seat, and then all of us together will eat and drink together, okay? So with all that in mind, Marika is going to lead us in worship, and I'll invite you when you're ready to make your way down. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, we thank you for doing what we could not do. We thank you for giving up your place in heaven in order to take on flesh, knowing full well what that would mean. We thank you that, as you said, you gave your body up freely. Nobody took it from you. We eat this bread looking forward to the day when we will eat a meal together with you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat the bread together. Jesus, we are also mindful of the fact that you gave... You gave all you could give. You spilled all you could spill. There's no, no question left to be asked. There's no, there's no mystery. Are we seen and known and loved by God? You made it evident. You took the beatings and the bruises and ultimately the death that we could not endure. And beyond that, you took from us the burden of sin and death, and we thank you that you have made a way for us through your blood, and you've invited us to follow. And so as we drink this juice, we declare we are going to follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's drink the cup together. The, uh, the hymn that we just sang, some of you might know the story behind it. It's written by a man named Horatio Spafford, whose daughter 
whose daughters and wife were heading across from Chicago to England. He was going to be a part of an evangelistic crusade there. But it was during the time of the great Chicago fire, so he had to stay home and take care of that. And as his family was heading across the ocean, the ship went down and he lost his wife and his daughters. And it was while he was on his way on another vessel where they assumed they were in the same area where the ship had gone down that he wrote the lyrics to this song. When sorrows like sea billows roll. I don't know what you guys are walking through this week. It will not be easier by leaving Jesus out of it. You, you won't find more strength by not praying. You won't find more strength by not being a part of this community that wants to spur you on and encourage you and pray with you. Do not sell out the narrative that out-narrates all of the stories for a smaller story. That's what communion is meant to remind us of this morning. Believe me, it's not gonna, the, the, the bread aspect isn't going to last you to lunch. There's something much greater going on here. So as you head out this morning, some of you maybe need to just spend some time. And we were talking to the, and I'll remind our, our sound people just to keep the music down a little bit. But some of you maybe just need to sit where you are. Maybe you need to do some business with God this morning and say, I've, I've sold you out for some other stories. I've been trying to find sustenance on Doritos and it's just not doing it. I need the bread of life. Maybe you need to spend time in prayer with, with someone from our prayer team. Take advantage of that. Be reminded that you're part of something bigger than just what you can pull off this week. Because I'll tell you, if you leave God's story out of it, you'll be more likely to be angry, <laughs> be more lang- likely to be fearful, to be anxious. So step back into this story. I'm going to invite you to, to stand. I'm going to leave you with a benediction. Some of you, like I said, you might want to stay here, take advantage of prayer. For the rest of you, I'm going to ask you to quietly make your way out into the foyer. And uh, we'll have some treats and some coffee. And let's spend some time as the church community out there together. Paul writes this in Ephesians to a church. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, you may, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.